everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. We're going to start a new series today and I'm excited about it. Um, Watch this silly video as, as we set that up. The show where we reward the contestant who can best misuse scripture to mean whatever they want. (laughs) Time for our first challenge. Take any verse out of context. Helen. John 14, 13, Jesus said, whatever you ask in his name, he will give to you. So if you don't get what you want, then that means that my faith is better than yours. Ah, John 14, 13, just got Helen 14.13 points. Helen, do you think you can win this game? Oh, yes, I know I can, because God said in Jeremiah 29, 11 that he has plans for me to prosper. <laughs> That's right, he did. <laughs> you just can't say that. Sure she can, because she just did. And she gets another 29.11 points. I don't even know who Jeremiah is, but the verse is on my coffee mug. <laughs> All right, let's see what we have here. First, our friend Doug. Uh, oh, Doug, it looks like you've hit the bullseye. Yeah, that's good. Yes, but the target was Philippians 4.13, and you put contentment in God. I'm sorry, we can't accept that. (laughs) Let's try Helen. Helen, what do we have here? Well, when I think of this verse, it reminds me that I can tolerate having a three-year-old car run one mile and not scream when they forget to put room in my medium caramel mocha, sugar-free skim, extra hot, extra shot, extra whip. Hold on. Hold on here. And back to Downer Dell. Paul wrote that verse from prison about contentment. Well, that's a good point. Too bad we're playing miss the point. (laughs) That's another 4.13 points for Helen. Helen, what do you think? I can do all things. (laughs) That you can. And I may need to use that verse if I'm going to keep tolerating Doug. (laughs) But we'll be right back with more misusing scripture fun right here on... (laughs) Yes. You know, this is, a, this is a dangerous book, and I, and I mean that in a few ways. First of all, in the sense that it is the living word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the words of life to actually do battle in the seen and unseen world. It's dangerous in the best sense. It can also be dangerous in another sense, when it is mishandled. Uh, used inappropriately, used to bully or, or bludgeon. You know, uh, everyone from Hitler to slave traders to cult leaders have abused and misused the Bible. And it's so grievous because the, the, the consequences of that have been so horrific. And things like spiritual abuse uh, form some of the deepest kinds of, of psychological wounds. So there are bad faith actors. Uh, they, they have ill intent. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. But, you know, sometimes as Christians, we, 
can inadvertently, innocently, uh, misuse, misread, misunderstand the Bible. It's in good faith, but it, it's wrong nonetheless. And while the Bible has all kinds of inspirational and hopeful parts, it's not self-help. It's not like a big book of platitudes. Like, um, remember those cheesy inspirational posters that you'd see in the office all the time? Just put one of those, those up, Liz, uh, inspiring phrases on it like, uh, excellence. Some excel because they are destined to. Most excel because they are determined to. Or uh, problems become opportunities when the right people join together. <laughs> and sometimes we can pull verses and turn them into our own version of the inspirational office poster. Uh, I've confessed this to y'all. I have a guilty pleasure of watching, you know, uh, cage fighting. And uh, there's always one dude who has Philippians 4.13 tattooed across his chest. And he's just punched a man into unconsciousness. And he's given the microphone for the post-fight interview. And he says something like, see that? I can do all things through Christ. And I'm like, hmm, is that what Paul was talking about when he wrote that, uh, you know, you breaking a guy's face in half? I'm not sure. We, we're in this message series that we've kind of cheekily called Coffee Mug Christianity. And what we're, we're going to do is look at some of the most popular quoted Bible verses that are often misunderstood or misrepresented, maybe applied in kind of a, a trite or superficial way. In fact, to date might just be the granddaddy of all popular verses, t-shirts, mugs, posters, bumper stickers, memes, life verses, uh, inspiring verses, quoted verses, misused verses. Chances are, if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you already know this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. And I'm not here to disparage this verse. Obviously, this is one of the most beautiful and hopeful verses in Scripture. I'm certainly not here to disparage you if, if you just love this verse at, at face value. This is somebody's life verse here this morning. Uh, somebody here, I'm sure, has that verse on their coffee mug. And, it, and you drink out of that mug every day and you love it. Um, no doubt many of you got a graduation card with this verse on it. Somebody has a magnet right now with this on their refrigerator. Uh, I won't have you raise your hand, but I would dare say there is somebody here who has a pillow that your grandma cross-stitched that verse onto. Because there's no better verse for nanas to cross-stitch on pillows than Jeremiah 29, 11. It is an amazing, comforting, hope-filled verse. But maybe, maybe some of us have been applying it wrong. Could it be that when we see the verse in its proper context with a little more nuance and depth we might love this verse even more uh, this series is not about raining on anyone's parade I assure you we're not about to destroy anyone's 
favorite verse. And in the process, I hope you'll get some practical tips on how to, you know, read the Bible faithfully, contextually. And I believe you'll find that getting past a superficial reading of your favorite verse may actually cause you to see more beauty, more meaning, more significance. And what I want to do today is I want to give you a real um, simplified version of how we learn to interpret scripture. In seminary, we might call it hermeneutics, the, the art and the science of biblical interpretation. If you have any interest on going kind of in depth on this, I, I have some great books I could lend you. But let me just give you three very simple points on how to interpret scripture well. Number one, context is kind of everything. Uh, we want to know not just what the verse says, but what is coming before that verse and what is coming after that verse and to whom this verse was written and who was it written by and what is the major theme of the chapter and of the book as a whole. What is the author trying to say? Uh, we want to understand context. What sort of genre is this book? How, how would people of that time and era understood this message, which means knowing maybe just a little bit about that culture, a little bit about that history. We don't want to cherry pick a verse out of context. And let's be honest, I, we all have done this at, at one point or another, and it does not make you a heretic. It won't keep you out of heaven. It, it just means that we're growing in a... Yes, Lord? No? Oh, no? Oh. It just means we're growing in our understanding of Scripture. We want to embrace and understand the context. So that's number one. Number two, we want Scripture to interpret Scripture. Okay, this is really important. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Okay? We're not going to take one verse and build an entire theology around that one verse. We're going to take a verse and we're going to actually look at what other verses around the same theme say about it. We're, we're, we're going to build our theology on the consistency of the 66 different books with 40 different authors who are writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to interpret scripture with scripture. Third thing, and most importantly maybe, is we're going to apply what we learn. The Bible is, is not a book to be studied as much as it is to be lived, right? Go be the church. And, and we want to apply it to our lives. It's, it's, it's unlike any other book. It's God's living word that transforms us. So we're, we're not just students, but we're practitioners, right? And uh, that's what I want to do today as we look at Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 29, 11. God has plans to prosper you. Uh, let's look at the verse in context, see if we can get maybe just a broader understanding. Actually, verse 1 of Jeremiah 29 gives us some context. See if you can pick up on this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent. Okay, so question number one. Who wrote the letter? Jeremiah. Uh, the questions are going to get harder, but you, that's, 
you got it. Now, who did he write this to? Well, it says to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What, what is going on here? Jeremiah is writing this letter to Jewish exiles, that the people who were taken out of their homeland, brought into this strange land, and they're captives under King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Why are they in exile? Well, actually because they blatantly rebelled, disobeyed God, turned to false gods, turned to idols. And God says, basically because of your sinfulness, for the next 70 years you're going to be under the control of the enemy, the Babylonians. You are in exile. And, and sometimes we need to understand this, that there's going to be specific promises in the Bible, and there, there's going to be general promises. There's, there's specific revelation. There's general revelation. There are specific promises made to specific groups of people, and then there are general promises made to everybody or every believer. The truth is that Jeremiah 29.11 is a specific promise made to the Jewish exiles. Now, that's going to feel disappointing to some of you. Um, but you need to understand this promise is not specifically to us, but specifically to a nation. Now, the problem is, for me, when I read that verse, God has plans to prosper you. I always thought, why? Because I want to be the main character of everything that happens in the Bible. I want it to be about me. That's the problem. Here's another seminary word for you, uh, if you're taking notes. Exegesis. Okay, not J-E-S-U-S, -S, Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool? It's G-E-S-I-S, -S, exegesis. Uh, literally means to pull out the truth from the text you're studying. Um, here's another fancy word. Eisegesis. It, it pr practically means the polar opposite. It means that you would insert your preference, your agenda uh, um, into the text. So we're inserting into the text instead of pulling out the truth of the text. And often inserting into the text means that we read ourselves into the text. Uh, if you do eisegesis, it doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're a heretic. It won't keep you out of heaven. What it means is you simply do what we all do at some point. You're reading through your own filter, your own lens. You're seeing yourself in the text. And the reason why it could be dangerous in some instances is that, well, for instance, if we start to believe Jeremiah 29, 11 is a specific promise to us. God is going to prosper us. God is going to bless us. No harm will come to us. Uh, whenever one of those things does not happen, well, I prayed, and now I'm not blessed. I, I, I'm faithful, but I lost my job. I'm serving God, but I got sick. Uh, whenever we believe this is just to us, and it doesn't happen the way we thought it would, it, it can lead some to the conclusion either God doesn't, doesn't exist, 
His word isn't true. Or maybe God isn't really good. And so we start to wrongly believe that God is some sort of, you know, cosmic vending machine. We put our money in. We do what we're supposed to do. We, we push the button. And God's got to deliver on his part of the deal. And we're kind of reducing God to a butler, you know, who's there to serve us. And here's what the Christian should probably be reminded of regularly, is that we exist to serve and glorify God. Yes, he served us in the ultimate way by sending Jesus. He blesses us in so many ways as we talked about even in Canada. But the end of the day, God is not saying, what can I do for you? I exist for your pleasure. We exist to bring him glory. And, and that's why we have to be very careful not to read ourselves into a promise that really wasn't made for us. Are you glad you came to church today? Um, now I've got to throw away my favorite mug and I can't wear my favorite shirt anymore and got to scrub that Jeremiah 29 tattoo and got to take a knife to grandma's cross-stitching. Thanks, Jonathan. No, 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 no. Stay with me. Let's just dive into it a bit more. And I think you may actually find there's something even deeper going on. Okay. What comes before Jeremiah 29? Jeremiah 28. See how easy this is? Um, You should actually read it for yourself. But real quick, let me give you a summary of Jeremiah 28. There's this guy named Hananiah. And Hananiah comes and says, guess what? This exile, this punishment that we're all enduring, it's only going to last two years. You thought you were going to be in exile indefinitely, but God's going to break the Babylonians, and in two years, we'll be out of here. It's actually kind of a showdown between prophet and prophet, Hananiah and Jeremiah. But Jeremiah goes, um... Wait a minute. Uh, saying Hananiah sounds good, but it's not true. Fake news, Hananiah. You're actually a false prophet giving us news we want to hear, but it's actually not true, and it's actually not from God. And Jeremiah says, and uh, you're wrong, Hananiah, and you're going to die. I don't know if you heard, but God doesn't take kindly to false prophets. Well, in the seventh month of that year, guess what happened? Yeah, Hananiah, the false prophet, died. I mean, come on, this stuff is better than Game of Thrones. You got, you got to read your Bible. There's just juicy stuff in here. And by the way, isn't it easy to pursue false good news? Like, I, I want what feels good. I want to believe if it sort of lines up with my pre-existing beliefs or if it promises me prosperity. I want it to be about me. Uh, And without even knowing it, we can slip into eisegesis, where the text is always about me, or God is always here to serve me, and I inflict my desires onto Scripture. And if we're not careful, we'll be drawn to that type of preaching. We'll be drawn to that type of church that exists to make us feel good. Um, If you're hearing all the time that God exists to make you comfortable, God exists to make you prosperous, God exists to bless you, 
you know, if we're not careful, we become the main object of God's word. When the reality is God is the main object of everything. He is the source of all. He is the answer to all. He is the object of our greatest desire. He is the prize. I'm, I'm about to go on a rant here. Here's something to think about. I, I, I should be able to teach Jeremiah 29:11 anywhere in the world. In such a way, if it's, if it's consistent, it should preach the same way in Canada as it does anywhere. Because uh, if it's all about you getting a new car, uh, a new house, a better life, never being sick, try, try preaching, preaching that to the Christian mom in Ukraine who just lost a kid to a bombing and, and now lives in a refugee tent. It's going to get quiet. Um, if we preach that God will never let anything bad happen to you, you know, tell that to Christian parents who've lost a kid to malaria. Uh, and that sickness could have been prevented by, you know, a very inexpensive mosquito net that they just didn't have access to. In other words, Jeremiah 29, 11 uh, isn't just a verse for Canadian Christians, for North American Christians, for white Christians. God keep our land. I'm proud to be an American. God bless thee. Our family walked out of a church in the States during the, their 4th of July uh, service in what was the most idolatrous, flag-waving, accept America into your heart as your personal, as America as the new Israel, new chosen people. It was gross. It was just gross. And I'm sure they claimed Jeremiah 29 as a verse for them and them only. And, and we serve a God uh, who always gives us the best parking spots at the mall, right? We serve a God who will give us our dream home, who uh, enables us to have uh, an upgraded iPhone every time a new one comes out. I'm not saying anyone here who has taken this favorite Jeremiah 29 and, and applied it that way, uh, but this eisegesis path is a, is a slippery slope. It's not a big stretch to make a verse about you and to go into territory that's totally contrary to God's character and will. So if I can't preach this verse everywhere, I, I shouldn't be able to preach it anywhere. If I can't preach this where I feel uncomfortable in a country where the average wage is 2 $3 a day, then I don't want to preach it at all. If I can't preach it the very same way in an inner city homeless shelter, or to the wealthiest people in the suburbs, if I can't preach it with integrity in all environments, then I don't want to preach it anywhere. It's either true everywhere or, or not anywhere. If we're simply pursuing a God who gives us joy without pain, blessing without trial, prosperity without any bumps in the road, we're actually pursuing a fake good news. And that's very dangerous and that's why a lot of people actually walk away from the faith. Well, God didn't do what I wanted to. I tithed and didn't get rich. I went to church faithfully and, and my kid got sick. This is a specific promise to a specific group of people. Let me give you a general promise. 
you think you think it's been depressing so far today? How about this? I'll give you two really good verses. Put this on your mug. Second uh, Timothy three twelve says that if you're a Christian, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what persecuted. Hey Nana, I got a new verse for you to cross stitch on. The- Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to, oh, glory to God. Where can I get that t-shirt? Um, by the way, look up, this is my uh, somewhat ironic t-shirt. Look up Galatians 6.3. Here's what we have to understand. that The good news, the real good news, is not that God always saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. Folks, that is real good news. And and the reason that you're not giving me a standing ovation right now, standing on your chairs and whooping it up, is because we don't understand just how good that news is. Scripture teaches all of us, or teaches that all of us have fallen short horribly. You say, I'm not that bad. In fact, most people say I'm, I'm pretty good. As if we're being judged on a sliding scale or, or graded on the curve. Here's the problem. When it comes to God's holy standards, it's perfection. And his standard, we're going to fall short from. I fall short. You fall short. I, I serve a good God who did for me what I could never earn And what I didn't deserve, he became one of us in person. Jesus, who loved the most unlovable, reached out to those that the religious folk had rejected. And he accepted them, but he never left them as they were. Um, On the cross, he became sin for me. He looks up to heaven and he says, I did what you sent me to do, God. Father, it is finished. That's good news. And this is the best news, actually. It it represents a good God. This is the good news that God exists to save us, not from hard things, but to save us from our sins. We serve a God that is better than just saving us from trials. We serve a God who actually uses our trials to conform us to the image of Christ. The exiles, they want to be saved from hard things. I get that. We want to as well. But right before this famous verse in in Jeremiah 29, 11, what's the verse that comes before Jeremiah 29, 11? Yeah, 29, 10. You're getting the hang of this, guys. In verse 10, it says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come back to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. Excuse me? 70 years? <clears throat> did, I, did I hear that right? Who was Jeremiah speaking to? Do you remember? The who, what, so who? Yes, the exiles, specifically the elders. And I take that to mean that they were elderly. <laughs> they were at least Steve's age. Uh, it, imagine saying, to, let's say, a 60-year-old. Don't worry. In 70 years, I'm going to come back. I'll make good on my promise. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you a future. 
And they're going, so what you're saying is, don't wait up. Uh, they weren't going to see it in their lifetime. They weren't going to see it on this side of heaven. They weren't going to, you could say, see it in the natural. But God knew that they would see it happen in the supernatural. Because he had plans to bless them and prosper them. To give them hope and a future that wasn't just based on this fleeting life. Why? Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard all the good things that God has planned for those who love him eternally. That I want it now. I want my prosperous life now. I want a car with keyless entry and butt warmers. It gets cold in Canada. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future. The next time someone quotes this out of context or is wearing it on a t-shirt or you see it on a coffee mug, be sure to whip out your sermon notes and say, uh, actually, that's uh, out of context. You're a heretic. No, do not say that, okay? No, I forbid it. We have enough jerks for Jesus out there that we don't want to be that person. But just because the text is not to us doesn't mean that there's not truth in this text for us. The text is true, true, true. Does God have plans for us? Does God have a purpose for us? Oh, all day long. And it's, it's, it's confirmed throughout Scripture. Ephesians 1.11, God works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God works in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Man, you better believe God has a plan and a purpose for you. Does God have plans to bless his people? Come on, you know he does. We interpret scripture with scripture. God is a good God. He loves to give good gifts to his children. Does God prosper his people? Oh, he sure does. He, he's doing it all the time. God actually gives wealth. wealth. Wealth, by the way, is not a bad thing. With, with wealth, you can do a lot of good things. God gives wealth. God prospers a lot of people. He doesn't prosper everybody. Or, or maybe we have a, a pretty narrow view of what the word prosper means. It sure means a lot more than financial prospering. Sometimes prospering and blessing means relationships, which is a whole lot better than money anyways when you think about it. Sometimes it means Health, which is something money can't even buy you. Sometimes it means a supernatural peace. An intimacy with God that is priceless. And if for some reason in his perfect sovereignty, for reasons that we don't understand in this life, he chooses not to heal you, uh, does God still have a future for you? Oh, you know he does. You know he does. He's preparing a perfect place for us right now. He's setting up a party in paradise where there's no suffering, no tears, no injustice, no cancer. You better believe you have a future and it is secure and it is unshakable. In the meantime, before then, you are not finished yet. 
if you're not dead, you're not done. God still has something for you. And was this verse specifically spoken to us, prophesied over us? No. But there is truth in it for us. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for training in righteousness. But instead of seeing this verse as a sort of a feel-good meme, a platitude, embrace the richer truth of it. And don't stop at verse 11. But that's all that will fit on my mug. Yeah, but when you get to verse 12 and 13 and 14, which does become a general promise for all of us, why? Because when you read on, it starts to align with other promises all throughout Scripture. And this is what it says. When you call on me and come to me and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. God is saying no matter what you're going through, I'm going to be there for you. Whenever you call on me, I will hear you. When you cry out to me, I'm there. No matter what you do, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm closer than a brother. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear. Why? Because I'm going to be with you. I'll, I'll, I'll be closer than a brother. And I guess the question is, do you believe he's good? Do you trust him? Do you trust his character this morning? Is there something more you feel that you're owed other than his death for you, his resurrection life, his victory over sin? Is there something more than him saving your soul that will satisfy you? Something more than eternity in perfect joy? Our faith does not rest on what he does do or does not do because of what he already did for us on the cross. It's enough God, I choose to serve you. I choose to follow you. I choose to lay down my life for you because of what you've already done. Maybe, maybe this verse wasn't written specifically to Jonathan or you or the Canadian church, but when we dig a little deeper, when we start to read the verses around the verses, we find promises to every single one of us. When we cry out to him, he will hear you. When we draw near to him, he will draw near to you. When you seek him with all your heart, you will find him when you seek him. Father, today I pray as, as we learn to study the word, even with a broader understanding, diving into context, I pray we would fall in love with you even more intimately as we, as we see who you are, your character, your nature. Um, God, today we're drawing near to you. We're calling on you. God, I thank you for the many times that you do deliver us from trials. Thank you, God, that you hear our prayer, that miracles happen in 2022. But God, I also thank you that your highest purpose isn't just to deliver us from circumstances, but rather to deliver and save us from our sins. We, we rejoice in this, God. We ask that for those who are struggling, who are hurting today, somehow by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be enough right now. That you would guide our hearts and our minds and our souls in Christ Jesus. That you would give us that supernatural peace that goes beyond our human 
understanding. God, according to your word, you tell us that we can ask. We ask for miracles. We ask for healing. We ask for financial provision, relational healing. God, we ask you would help us to overcome temptation. We pray that you would break any bondage that holds us back. We believe, God, that you hear our prayer. And even when you say no or not yet, for reasons that we, we don't understand, we trust you. We declare you are good. We put our hope in you. We declare if, if we're not dead, we're not done. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, will you stand with me as we close?